Hello, fellow nerds. Check out our network site, nerdsloth.com. You can also connect with us on social media like the Facebook, the Twitter, and the Instagram. If you like what you hear, look for Nerdsloth on Patreon and consider donating to help us continue delivering quality shows straight to your ears. If you'd like to help the shows out for free, head over to iTunes and write a heartfelt review. I mean it. Make me cry happy tears. But seriously, though, anything you can do really helps us out and we love you for it. Hi, I'm Alexa Fox, the creator of Danger Gliders, and you're listening to Adrian Has Issues. Hey everybody, welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I always say I'm excited about each episode, but that's only because it's the truth. You know, I think it would be really messed up for me to start an episode of saying, like, hi, I am completely bored of this episode. I think it's going to be terrible, but it's like, no, I would never do that. So yeah, it sounds redundant, but you know what? Damn it, I am excited, and I'm especially excited today because I have always get a blast out of talking to uh, returning guests. Because it's it's always kind of fun when you talk to them the first time, get to know what they're about. But then they come back on, and it's so much cooler. Because then you get it's like catching up with old friends, and I I feel like that's sort of what returning guests mean to me. Speaking of which, my guest first appeared on oh wow, this is going back episode nineteen, entitled House of Stylo, which I don't know if anybody was an old MTV fan, so I don't know if they got the the pun I was trying to make with that one. Because someone actually asked me, he's like, "What's House of Stylo?" It's like, I mean, you've never actually watched the show, Cindy Crawford. Like, what's wrong? with you <laughs> and i looked like the weirdo but let's see uh you are a writer uh founder of an independent comics publisher red style of media and you kind of do it all in the comics game and it's, it's pretty amazing well you know except the art and uh anything actually visual <laughs> in comics except you know <laughs> Except for the drawing, the publishing, the inking, all that stuff. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying, though, because let's be honest, though, to see, you know, women running comic companies is kind of a, like, I want to say a rarity, but you don't see it as much. And I think it's awesome that you do it and you do it well. And she's super fun. And I can't wait to talk to her. But I'll shut up and introduce Enrica Jang. Enrica, welcome back. How are you? Thank you. <laughs> she's like, thank it's you great for keeping quiet. <laughs> no, no, this is great. Thank you so much for having me back. I love the show. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. And, you know, this was a long time coming because I know we had actually talked about this way back. What was this like back in uh, October near Comic-Con? And it's like, yeah, absolutely. But then I'm sure, as you know, you know, things get super busy. So it's like things don't necessarily happen instantaneously. And the world kind of exploded in November. And I think everybody, everybody's been, the fallout since then has been kind of crazy. Yeah. So. That was, oh my gosh, it's funny you should mention that because it's like that juxtaposition from early October to early November. October was like this great, it was a different explosion where it was really like a completely different vibe from like the first New York Comic Con I did doing this podcast and reconnecting, meeting new people. And the world seemed so much brighter and it's like, yeah, you know, 2016 was bad. We lost Prince. We lost David Bowie. We lost all these great people, but you know what? We're going to press on and it's going to be okay. Then a month later, we were like, son of a bitch. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, I know. I know. At the end of 2016. And the thing is that you're right. The year 
for us had been so great. And so many things were happening in the world and around us. And we had these fantastic events in 2016, but at the same time, these horrible things happening in the world. And so you try to try to just make some sort of sense of it in your own life. And then nothing just made sense. Yeah. <laughs> 2016, it's just like, I, give, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. I, there's no pattern. I, I don't know. It was so hard because it's like, how do you stay excited about the work that you're doing, especially in your case, you know, with comics and running this company? And it's like, who can talk about comics at a time like this? There's real life stuff going on. So I don't know if that's sort of been a challenge on your end. I mean, it definitely feels like it on this end. I know that sounds very selfish. I'm like, look, I mean, there's a greater thing going on than maybe what we're doing. But yet it's hard to sort of sound jazz when, like, you know, there's actual fear going on. Yeah. You know, I need to find out who actually said it on Twitter, but it's a quote that sort of stuck with me for days. Somebody uh, was sort of joking. You've got that, you know, 2016 meme versus now. In 2016, you're sitting there worrying if your work is good enough to show your friends or show the world and critics. And then in 2017, you're sitting here wondering if your work is good enough to save the Republic. Yeah. And <laughs> Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> can, we, can we actually make a difference and do But yeah, I mean, when, especially when you work in entertainment, you, you want everything to make a statement, but that, how do you combat terrorism, right? Like you live your life and you live the life that they don't want you to live. And, and that's the same thing with art. You make the art that they would rather you didn't and you keep pushing forward. And if you're doing the right thing, you're marching every day. You march every day. So that's sort of serious, but that's how I feel lately. Just kind of <laughs> No, like, that's a great way to put it, because it's funny how now just living your life and, you know, living a decent one and making an impact in and of itself feels like an act of rebellion. And that's kind of sad because I felt, I hate to say it, but that's sort of a feeling that I've had even prior to, you know, November 6th in, in a way where a lot of the people that we know in this industry like there were things that were going on that just seemed like they were very troublesome so in a way for i think a lot of people the work had started even earlier than that and i think maybe of course the result of the election made it that much more serious but yet it was really starting to lean towards this way of our art it's less than just like you know making funny books and you know entertainment is great and all but you know we're really trying to change people's minds because even in the comic book industry alone we've seen so many things where we realize there's a lot of changes that need to be made it's hard to yeah how do you eat the elephant how do you like you have to take it down a piece at a time and, and you struggle each day because it doesn't feel like enough but keep going keep going march every day and you definitely have been marching. I mean, holy cow. I mean, within like the last couple of months alone. Well, let's see. By 2016, you had done this really fun comic called Crossing, which, you know, I want to start with that because when it came out, I was um looking at all like the buzz for it. I'm like, this looks like such a fun book. And now that I finally have you here, I want to get into this. This is uh, an absolute, hyster I mean, it's not really hysterical in the sense of like, it's definitely got a serious undertone, but this is sort of a really interesting book. And I guess what I'm really getting at is what was the inspiration behind creating Crossing? Crossing is the story of a rookie train conductor who is haunted by the ghost of a girl that he ran over. She insists that her death was a murder made to look like a suicide, and she can't cross over and leave him alone until he helps her solve her case. So, yeah, very serious themes like, you know, suicide and railroad safety, but then also um, it's sort of a how to lose a ghost in 10 days, sort of paranormal comedy, romance kind of 
not sort of anti-romance kind of (laughs) thing. The the idea, I was on my way home talking to a friend of mine and she was on a train and our conversation was stopped in the middle because there was an announcement over the train intercom and I sort of was sort of listening in the background and she she said that the, the train is stopped because uh, there's there's a, a trespasser on on the tracks. And I immediately felt bad because I had thought that, oh, man, trains are late. Oh, doesn't that suck? Isn't that awful? Blah, blah, blah. Right. And then the fact that she sort of told me that somebody had actually gotten hurt or something had, had probably happened made me think of all the times that, you know, I've been stuck in traffic, not really knowing what the, the thing is ahead that sort of stopped everything. And then you, then you go past an accident or you pass uh, something on the train and you find out that this entire time you've been complaining, somebody's life has completely changed or ended. So I was thinking about in that moment, everybody's cursing, everybody's, you know, all of that negative energy that's coming from a crowd, not really knowing the whole story. What would that be like for a spirit leaving a body to be bombarded immediately by all that negative energy? And what would that do? Uh, and that immediately sort of made me remember, I don't know if you had to do this when you were first getting your driver's license, but in uh, high school, but you, you take these classes, these uh, before you take your in-cars, railroad safety, watching on the tracks, stop and listen. And uh, I remember one of the safety videos that we had to watch about automobiles versus trains is that, you know, the train always wins. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> But they, they showed a clip of a group where a bunch of train conductors, uh, it was sort of a a PTSD kind of group or or a a trauma group where they, you know, the train conductor often is the only person on the train who can actually see what's coming. They can actually see almost, you know, two or three miles ahead on the track. So if something, if somebody is jumping in front of the train or if uh, if there's a car stalled or anything like that, it takes over a mile for a, a train going full speed to stop. And so they can't do anything. They, they might have slammed on the brakes and, and, and done everything they can to stop that train, but sometimes you just can't do it. And so that is the one person at the head of the train who saw everything before it happened. And so immediately those two thoughts sort of spawned this story of this idea of, you know, uh, the train conductor is the, you know, the one who saw the whole thing. So what would happen if a train conductor saw a girl alone on the track, couldn't stop the train? runs her over, and then her ghost comes back and says, wait a minute, I didn't kill myself. And he thinks he saw the whole thing, but she says, no, 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 no. This was a, a murder made to look like a suicide, and I need your help. So that was the, the seed that started the whole series. Now I'm in Long Island uh, with Eileen and taking LAR, and it seems like almost every week there's some other train stopping or incident. And you know, like I said, you start cursing, you're, you're pissed off. But then all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, there's, um, what's the, what's the phrase that was used? You know, there's police activity. Yeah. Police activity, medical emergency, trespasser on the track. And you, you automatically know what that means. So, yeah. 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 And you know, it's, it's again, it's like that whole very selfish thing of, oh, I'm delayed. But as much as let's say the interaction between the leads is sort of funny, you know, she's in his house, you know, she's like playing video games and she's moving stuff around and, and they're going back and forth. But then by the end of it, I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I almost feel bad for laughing because it gets really heavy. <laughs> I, I do want that. You know, as a writer, I'm, I'm sort of gleeful about that. I do want people to, 
they're not very nice to each other, but at the same time, they're stuck with each other. Right. She's a ghost, doesn't know how to pass on. And then he's he's just a guy who was trying to do his job. And then he, he saw the whole thing. He, he thinks he really knows what happened. And uh, these two people have to figure it out. They have to figure out how to get out of the situation and, and find their way. So and then it happens in life. That's every relationship. So I call it the anti-romance because they really don't like each other very much. But um, <laughs> it's uh, uh, but it, it is a just like any relationship out there, whether it's work or, or romance or or anything, you have to figure it out. So one thing I forgot to ask you originally was, is this going to be a miniseries or is this an ongoing? This is a miniseries. We've got six issues planned. The artist on this book is Alex Cormick. And he's assisted by uh, Mark Mullaney and some of the colors and the letters. And we are just pushing forward. We did a Kickstarter last year for issue one. We were funded in 36 hours, which was absolutely amazing. And then by the end of it, we were 200% funded. So I'm really excited about moving forward with the series. And, and, and reaction has been great. So thank you. Which, congratulations, by the way. I have a lot of guests on talk about Kickstarters and, you know, the grueling part of, are you going to make it or are you not going to make it? I mean, to be funded that much even over, you know, the original uh, goal is pretty impressive and pretty awesome. I'd love to take credit for any of that, but I actually think uh, Alex Cormick has been uh, working like a demon in comics the last few years. And, and he's developed this really great following and, and he's a fantastic guy. And then we were not to... Uh, let's say there was no shame. His wife uh, was pregnant. <laughs> pregnant. So we're just, you know, baby on board, guys. You got to jump on here. <laughs> and we told everybody about that. So uh, I think uh, <laughs> I, pro- I, really, I probably have to apologize to his wife because in lieu of some baby gifts, I think some people <laughs> came to our Kickstarter. So uh, we'll see. <laughs> but, uh, the little one arrived at the end of last year and one thing about Alex Cormick is uh, he's an incredibly talented artist and he's also really quick. Uh, he, he's prolific. He just works so fast. And uh, But now he's uh, got a baby on board and uh, we'll see <laughs> the pace of things for him now that he's uh, got a little one to contend with. Which is so. kind of the irony. is like the baby probably helped in terms of getting it funded, but future work may be impacted due to the same child. Yeah. Uh, despite our mature rating, Crossing number one was Baby's first comic. So uh-huh. <laughs> we're lucky you can't read, but you know. well, you know what? You're never too young to learn about train safety and everything like that. Railroad safety. That's right. That's right. <laughs> See, it's educational and. <laughs> See, this kid's already could have, you know, being born into comics. You know, it all works out in the end. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so it's been really good, and so we're uh, almost finished with issue two. Issue three is on the way, and just moving along. But yeah, six issues. All right, and I know we had talked very briefly about it at the start of the show, and I didn't want to get too much into it because I figured we'd actually do it on recording because I know um, you mentioned that the book was going through a little bit of a change. It was. We have been exploring different avenues for distribution. I think you and I uh, have talked about, you know, just industry talk every once in a while and, 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 and how comics is changing and how the business is changing. So we were really lucky with a previous anthology to find a third-party distributor. With Crossing, we thought we'd found a third-party distributor, and then it looks like that deal has been put on hold. So we're, we're going to proceed with Crossing with Red Styler. 
which is something that I don't think we really got into last time, because I know the last time we were on the show, we talked a lot about 27, which was the anthology um, based on the infamous and kind of legendary 27 Club about entertainers and musicians who all died yes. at the age of 27, which, by the way, congratulations, you got nominated for a uh, Harvey Award for Best Anthology after that. So again, congratulations for all that. That's really cool. I will take that on behalf of, we had 54 different people on that book, made it amazing. And then uh, we teamed up with Action Lab uh, to distribute that book and, and get it out. And so it was a huge team effort. And so it was absolutely amazing. But thank you. Thank you very much. But, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about 27, but something we didn't really get into a whole lot is Red Stylo Press, which is the imprint where you release other books through the Red Stylo name, which I thought was actually something that's really cool. So would you care to give a little bit more um, insight into the Red Stylo Press and some of the books you have coming out for that? We do original series and anthologies uh, under the Red Stylo Media banner, but met a lot of people who were doing what we were doing. A lot of people, you know, we talked about this. With Kickstarter, with self-publishing, the industry has changed so much. It's so much easier to do it. But one thing that hasn't changed very much is marketing and um, the need for distribution, the need to to get that reach. Right. And if everybody's doing the same thing, you can only go so far. But if you you know have someone helping you and, and, and you're working with other folks, that reach is two times, three times bigger. So uh, we started that imprint as a group publishing arm. So a couple of creative teams already had their self-publishing projects, brought them under Red Stylo Press and uh, City of Walls with uh, Sean Noel and A.K. Loveless is one of our books. And Ellen's Adventures at the Shadowland by R. Robert Pollock is a collection of comics that were published in the uh, Shawangunk Journal in Hudson Valley, New York. And that collection is out under Red Stylo Press. We've done a couple of books for the Inkwell Awards, um, sort of helped put their challenge books together. And we just finished the Ms. Inkwell gallery book for the Inkwell Awards. And then Mario Candelaria brought his idea for his own mini anthology, Baroque Pop, which is a comics anthology inspired by the music of Lana Del Rey. And uh, he was very generous and let me pitch for his anthology and accepted my story as well. And so I'm a writer and then also a co-producer on that book. Yeah, which, um, so, yeah. shout out to Mario, uh, friend of the show's been on numerous times. I was really hoping to get him back on to talk about the anthology, but of course, by the time, like, we got to it, I was like, man, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's pretty much already funded or there's a couple more days to go. Uh, yes. It's, uh, the Kickstarter ends this Sunday, uh, the 19th, and, uh, it, it is funded, but we are inches. We are kissing distance from the next stretch goal. So, uh, <laughs> That is so cool. Mario's a great guy. And once I found out that he was involved with Red Style, I was like, you know what? He's in good hands. Because I'm like, that's so cool. You know, I, it's that thing of seeing people, you know, doing well and they're able to make things happen. And I'm I'm so happy for everybody involved in our project. Are you a Lana fan? Funny enough, I did not really, I shouldn't say I disliked her. I didn't know what it was because I'm so bad when it comes to pop music. I really am. And for all of the weird new stuff that I listen to, like pop is that genre where I really do feel like I'm talking to my little sister when discussing it because I'm like, who's this, you know, girl that's coming out and what is she saying? And I'm like, I'm so out of touch. And it's funny enough, uh, talking about Mario is that, I mean, he's a huge 
huge Wanda Del Rey fan. So, of course, it's like I've kind of been gaining traction of figuring her out through, like, you know, his posts on social media and a few others. So it's like, I think I've been gaining some inspiration, you know, from his posts about her. So I'm like, all right, I can see why this is a thing. And I was like, why didn't no one tell me about this to begin with? Which, honestly, I thought she was more like Taylor Swift, which, you know, no disrespect to her and her fans, but I think I had had (laughs) I had the wrong impression of her early on. But I'm like, okay, this is something I could be into. I'm a Lana Del Rey fan uh, and, you know, loved being able to do the story. But in talking to people, it's really funny how, isn't it funny how, like, someone can become your muse or or what will become someone's muse and you don't really know, like, that strikes you as strange or it strikes you as, as sort of odd. So Mario, you know, he loves wrestling. He loves all this other stuff, but he's he loves Lana Del Rey. And uh, it, it, it's sort of a funny, it's just a funny quirk about him. Uh, but his passion for this project was outstanding. And the, and the great thing about the anthologies that we've done that have been inspired by music, we've done a queen anthology we did the 27, the anthology inspired by a music artist who died age 27. And then I did a Tom Waits anthology called angel with a bullet. If we've done our jobs, if we've done it right, you read the comic and then you want to go back to the music. Right. So it's, it's, it's its own thing. It's its own piece. And then you want to go back to the music and go back to the original because it's, it, and those two things kind of feed each other. So that's, that's what I like. Yeah. And especially since music pretty much dictates my every waking moment in some way where it's like, people won't even get started if they didn't unless they had a good cup of coffee. Like if I don't have a good playlist or a good song to start, I'm not moving. So <laughs> So it was really cool, and I loved any project that kind of incorporates music and comics, and that was what I loved about 27, and I guess by proxy is why I'm kind of interested to see the Lana Del Rey anthology, because as a non-fan, I think this is actually just as good. Now, I get to learn about her music and how it inspires everybody else, and it in turns informs me about the music, because I'm like, shoot, if people are actually able to build an anthology off of their work, then, you know, there's got to be something special there, you know, you don't do that for everybody. Yeah, you know what? It's the theme. This book is going to be just as as much of an art book as it is a comic anthology, which is another cool thing about it. Mario had a very specific vision for this, and and he could speak to this uh, much more eloquently than I. Uh, but the design of the book, the details of this book, it's going to be uh, square and shaped like a uh, forty five, and it's just going to be really cool. Everything about it, all of the details, he's he's thought through. Um, obsessively. <laughs> and I got to be part of that project and, uh, and and sort of see it go from start to finish. And, and just he was very precise in, in how he saw it and then just sort of made it happen. And then he's done all of the design details uh, from start to finish. And so this is his this is his his baby. So it'll be, it'll be pretty cool. So I'm excited. I'm just excited to see it too. But the format of the comics is, is really different and having a square page instead of the, um, you know, the traditional, the classic size. It was very much a writing challenge and an art challenge for the artist to how you lay out that page. How do you make sure that you're, when, when you're used to writing for comics and, you, and you've got all the real estate is important when the shape changes and, and the format is going to be different. You have to you have to tweak it a little bit. It was it was a, it was a so. That's right because you have a um, story in this anthology as well, correct? I do, I do. Would you care to talk a little bit about that? Sure. My story is inspired by Gods and Monsters. And are you a uh, American Horror Story fan? 
No, but I did want to check out the latest season only because I, um, Lady Gaga, well, the casting is amazing on this. I mean, I know Kathy Bates is involved, um, Angela Bassett, but I know Gaga was on. So I'm like, all right, this definitely seems like something I need to watch. I'm so bad. Like for all the weird stuff I watch, like I miss on so many great things. I'm horribly lazy with my TV shows. <laughs> it's funny that you would like sit there and feel bad about being lazy about TV shows. Because <laughs> I'll sit there and watch. Um, oh, not a job. It's fun. It's it's supposed to be fun. <laughs> I know, but then it's like, oh, there's all these great conversations on Twitter, and it's like I get so left out because everybody's you know going crazy about all these shows, and I'm like, oh, this looks great, and it's like I can't look at half my feed because I don't want to spoil it. But then I'm, I don't know. It's it's that weird thing of wanting to be in with the cool kids. And with the cool kids. Well, actually, the story, I liked Lana Del Rey and I loved uh, the song Gods and Monsters. But then um, I watched, it wasn't the last season, it was three seasons ago, Freak Show. And Jessica Lange, who is one of my favorite actresses, and I think she's one of the most beautiful women in the world. She actually did a cover of Lana Del Rey's song. And when she did that cover, it was just so, it was so raw and tragic and just it really stuck with me and it made me go back to the original. And so I had, you know, I just had Gods and Monsters on on repeat for almost two days. And I made some sort of a comment about it on Twitter. And Mario saw my comment, of course. <laughs> he saw my tweet, of course, and like sort of, we sort of talked about it. And then about a month later, he came to me with the idea for the anthology. And uh yeah, it was great. It was, the timing was just perfect. So that was a lot of fun. But the project, you know, it's taken a while, too. I mean, we just, we just did the we're wrapping up the Kickstarter now. But Mario has been working on this for over a year. And uh, having done anthologies and knowing, you know, all the work that goes into them. We've done some pretty big ones. We've done, you know, medium sized ones. Uh, but Mario was very precise in his vision for this. And uh, yeah, it was really cool to see someone else at work on it. Something that I've always appreciated about Red Stylo is, I guess, the approach to comics. Because you mentioned it earlier about, you know, marketing and also, you know, things like distribution. On the show, almost every episode, you know, we kind of emphasize how much comics as a medium and its place in society has changed and is still currently changing. I always tend to talk about it from a artistic level, from how they're written and how they're drawn and things like that. But... Something, and I think you could probably attest to this, you know, running this company is, like I said, the other side of things, like in terms of marketing and distribution. I, I don't want to necessarily sound like that guy who's kind of like, you know, always constantly raging as the machine, even though I am kind of defined as hell. But there's a lot of elbow room for things that can be changed. So um, have you had any sort of challenges in terms of having to find new avenues for distribution and getting comics out versus, you know, the classic means that we've been seeing for almost well decades now i think my struggle is the same as others i for a small company your challenges always reach and i think the last time we spoke we talked about how digital has become sort of required yeah it, it just it just is even the diehards like myself we've turned to digital and I, I i read both now in equal measure it's always money it's always resources and you're you're always trying to hit at the right time uh, and you can never sit back. So you're always, you always have to lean forward and, and try to keep promoting. And it's one of the things that, you know, when comics has to be your second job, like you have a day job and you've got, you know, these life responsibilities, but then you're trying to have this second life and, and lean forward in comics. You can only do so much. And that's why it's, it's, you know, 
important to join up with other people and go into joint projects. And comics lends itself to that. They're collaborative just by their very nature. So you're, you're working right. with a lot of people, right. but you have to get a team of people who are just as committed as you are. So I think the days of, you know, an artist that can sit back and, and just do their art, those people are blessed. The rest of us, the indie folk have to, we're promoting all the time and trying to get stuff out there all the time. And that's finding that balance is tough trying to figure out how to keep the machine going. Yeah. I mean, there's so many hours in a day. Where the hell do you find all the time? Right. And you have to create and creating is paramount. So you have to devote that time, put those hours in, and then you also have to put in the hours for promotion. So I I think the work that I do as a publisher, I took that on. It's a little harder just because, you know, we're trying to do that stuff as a publisher too, and as creators, but I found a really good team in Mark Mullaney and James McGee and we've been bringing on some other folks and their projects and um, especially the guys from City of Walls are so great at getting their stuff out and they got that really great deal with Webtoon and City of Walls just wrapped up on Webtoon and it's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful series. It's an awesome series. So much heart, so much love went into that book and bravo to them. They let us be part of it and they came on and and were part of us. So, so yeah. (laughs) Wow, like that's impressive. And I think because of the fact that you had to do that much more work. And yeah, it's it's a lot. It really is. I mean, shoot, even for a podcasting level, it's a <laughs> lot of work. And you know, I'm not sitting here trying to be like, oh, what was me? It's like, no, like you love it. Because if you didn't love it, you wouldn't necessarily do it. And if you didn't love it and you did it, it's like, all right, that's kind of messed up. <laughs> you know, I don't have all the, I don't. There's no one way to do it, obviously. And and marketing has changed in the sense that, you know, there's so many more ways to get your message out, you know, with social media. So the success will come in different forms. It's funny, like your, your dreams can come true in completely strange ways. And you, you just have to keep leaning in and, and pushing forward. And, and but you can't let up. And that's the hard part. There's no, there's no resting because then you disappear. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there definitely is no resting. I mean, the overnights that I pull, (laughs) and like I said, that's not even working on a comic. That's just talking about them. So it's like, you know, I don't even have it as hard as others. So I definitely am not complaining. (laughs) We have friends. We love our friends. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's kind of something I've come to realize, you know, 2016 being what it was, was probably one of the best years that I had in some ways, but I don't want to say the worst, but it's definitely been a huge change in personal ways that I hadn't talked about um, on the show because it's really not the time or place. But yet, you know, we also talked about the election and how grueling it's been where, you know, Mm -hmm. we're kind of trying to make art in the face of all this turmoil. But yet, I think in a way, it's not been inspiring. Maybe that's the wrong word, but it's definitely been an interesting motivational tool because it's like it used to just be you never know what's going to happen and tomorrow's not promised to us so you know you, you go forward you know do what you can but now it's like the world may blow up tomorrow and this is a clear possibility oh. it's like you know what why not just go ahead and go ahead and make the lana del rey anthologies or you know do a podcast so it's like you know what at this point it's like the threat is real folks <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely that uh, tomorrow is no longer promised. You're right. It is <laughs> definitely no longer the truth promised. Was, it was never promised. It was never promised, but the truth is tomorrow is no longer promised. I, I've always thought that um, if it all ended tomorrow, what would you be most upset about? 
that you didn't do all these things that you wanted to do or you couldn't keep doing the things that you were doing. And if you if if you knew it was going to end tomorrow, what would upset you more? All of this the all of these untapped things or the fact that you were about to be ripped away from all the things that you love. And to me that is a small litmus for are you marching every day? Are you living the life that you you want to? And we all can't. It would be great if we could just, you know, quit that job and just go do this and just write all the time and just make art and we all have our responsibilities. But I think there's a sort of a top level overarching sort of awareness that what would piss you off more if you lost it all, that you, all these things that, oh, I'm not, I meant to get to that. I didn't do that. Oh, is, is that all that regret? Or would you be more upset about the things, losing the things, not being able to continue doing what you're doing now? I ask myself that. I ask myself that as I'm working on projects. I ask myself that as I'm just going forward every day. And, uh, I think personally, I am in, in a place where I would be really pissed off. I can't keep doing what I'm doing. Can't keep going with these things that I love so much as opposed to, man, I haven't done this and I haven't done that and blah, blah, blah. So I think that's the, that's the only way you can try to keep some perspective right. and make sure you're doing something that you love every day, even if just for a little while. It's something that not everybody does for whatever reason. You know, I'm not necessarily one to judge, but I guess what I'm getting at is, for those who are doing it and like you're doing it like that's that's crazy because more and more as i'm talking to people you're realizing that's not always the case and i guess it's like when you do it so long you kind of forget it's like wait no one else this isn't what everybody else does i'm like no (laughs) far from it (laughs) yeah yeah it's a privilege i mean yeah it is a it's a gift to be able to to work and, and and try to get these things done and try to finish a project or write a comic or get a story out tell a story so I'm, I'm thankful for that because i was talking to eileen this was actually yesterday um as we were having lunch about you know there's this you know it's not even just on a political level but just personal level like things have been kind of crazy in the last couple of weeks with everything going on but then it's like that thing we literally sat down it's like hey you know but remember we did this thing and it's like yeah, that happened, you know, kind of like the own, like be basically owning the fact that it's like, you're allowed to enjoy, you know, the work that you've been doing. It's like, yeah, it's hard, but you know what? You get to do something that not everybody does or can do. So it's like, you know what? I, I guess it's like, hey, you know, you're right. We are kind of privileged in a way to be able to do something, you know, maybe not at the level we would like to, but yet it could be so much different. Yeah. A lot of changes are coming, so I think we, we're still processing. We're still still trying to figure out where we where we fit into the cosmos, right? Right. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I'm, I guess at the same time, it's so hard to sort of be excited and worried at the same time. But I don't know. At this point, I'll pick excitement because that's always fun to have things to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just to, to be – I know it's the, the new buzz phrase right now, but to be awake, to be woke, to be completely – you try to be awake and aware uh, and not fooled. And it, it's funny how there's this obsession on both sides about like what's fake versus what's real. What's everybody has this sort of perspective and, and you hook them all up to machines and they would swear to you that their version of it is the truth. And yet the person looking from the other side is just, are you insane? Are you, are you seriously insane? Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, you just can't find the, the common thread lately because it's just so, and a lot of, I don't want to harp on like how divided things are because I don't really know that there's a middle ground with some of these differences, but 
yeah, that's the new obsession. What's real? What is real? And so the only thing you can really try to do is make sure that you're not fooled. Um, right. And, and not distracted by these shiny fake things uh, and really get to the heart of, of who's trying to fool you and who is lying and who, who, what, what truth is and embracing what, because for a long time, you know, I think, you know, the matrix had something to do with this a little bit. This question of like, what's reality? Mm -hmm. Isn't this just as real as, you know, as long as you believe it, isn't it just as real or I, it's, it's exhilarating to see people know the truth, claim the truth, claim that space, not let it go. Despite some, orange crazy guy trying to, to tell us <laughs> something's <laughs> something is when it clearly is not. <laughs> and so, it wasn't too long ago. We were arguing about the color of a dress, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was this fascinating because it was both. <laughs> it, it really, it really was, was both because of, of some weirdness in your eyeballs. <laughs> but um, Yeah. So much simpler times. It's sad that even in, normal discussion we have to sort of preface things with you know like things like the phrase you know don't get distracted and it's a shame because i'm like well you know my initial jerk argument is well a person could pay attention to multiple things and you know i know i'm not distracted but i'm like wait am i i don't know because <laughs> then it's like i don't know because i thought the thing that was important was that you know now i'm being told us they're being distracted by so i'm like you're right like it's crazy now that we have to even so to go back and argue about base things that I kind of thought were understood. Right. And even that is kind of the point and the distraction, right? If, if he can, yeah. if, if you have to sit there and you have to argue about these basic things that everybody understands have, how much time have you wasted when all this other stuff has happened in the background? So oh, it, it feels like a lot of things are crumbling and, and it's funny how we're dancing around the politics. But claim the truth. Don't back away from it. Embrace it and stay awake. And right. I think that's the only thing you can do. And make art. And make art. That's what we have to do. It's crept its way into everything. And I think as creators in you know some way, we're constantly shaped by, I would say, you know, even like personal politics or even like generally, because, you know, it's always kind of been a commentary on Either, you know, things as you kind of wish they were or things as is or even things that are coming up. So, right. I, and it's kind of weird that, you know, we kind of feel bad when we discuss these things, but, you know, it pretty much dictates a lot of our stuff, even indirectly. So, you know, you can't really separate it. I mean, yeah, I know we don't want to necessarily end up sounding like a bunch of pundits. We're just going back <laughs> and forth on a 24-hour news cycle sort of thing. But, you know, it's... There's room for it, though. I think people are looking for representation in... They're in the art that they consume, that they they take in. I think they're looking for expression. They're looking for catharsis. So the beauty of independent media, the beauty of, you know, indie artists and indie publishers is that the market is so big for that now. And the virtual space, there's room for all of it. It feels overwhelming. Um, the problem is that people have to actively seek and be their own curators. And, and that's tough. And so people are looking when the most eyes are on that one TV show and that TV show isn't hitting all the notes of representation. It's frustrating. But the only answer, the only answer has to be going out and making your own and supporting the projects out there that do represent you. There's room for all of it. The world is big enough, right? Isn't that the, the world is wide enough. 
<laughs> it has to be. That's the challenge of a silk because the struggle in making it, but there's also the struggle of then how do you impact? Yeah, and steer someone to a direction that they don't even know is an option. And that's something that, you know, even with, you know, doing the show is hard. I'm like, yeah, you know, you can meet people all day, but with so many other shows and you're thinking to yourself, all right, listening to, let's say, an hour podcast, maybe taking time away from something else that they have to do. So it's like, you know, there, there's always that aspect. So yeah, that's definitely true. Letting people know that there's this thing that they can partake in that they don't even necessarily know is a thing. And I'm not even trying to necessarily accuse people of saying that they're ill-informed, but you know, you, you have to let them know. Yes. You have to let people know it's good to have these conversations. And it's also good to understand that as an artist, like I've, I've being on, on both sides of it as a consumer and then as a creator, we do make mistakes. We do learn. Like the, all of the creative process is kind of you have to keep going. And what and you know you've probably you've talked to a lot of artists, and I've talked to a lot of artists. And you know, as a publisher and as an editor, one of the things that I have to tell a lot of the creatives that I work with is you got to let it go. There's no you could you could be perfecting it forever, and it would never come out. So you got to you got to <laughs> get that out there. But the it's a double sided blade, right? Because the flip side of it is that you know consumers are seeing things that maybe could have done with some more editing or could have done with some more thought, but it all art is a process. It's a forever process and how you encounter something, you know, so many years later, even just as an example, uh, Orwell's 1984, that book has been a cornerstone and important for so many years, but it's mm-hmm. so relevant, so important. Now the handmaid's tale just very important book for for many many years uh, decades now and yet now so present so important to read a book like that now and yet the new art that's coming too social media makes it possible to sort of get art out so quickly that you're you're seeing into an artist process so when I see something offensive or if I see something that really just needs more thought or needs more discussion I try to think of it as a all right this artist is still in process (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or this or, or this artist art, artist is provoking and provocative and and what's the purpose of that um so constantly questioning and not not shutting down anything um even when you are still claiming a space of truth so hard to pin that down or pin down a philosophy that doesn't need some tweaking in a moment and in, in, in some kind of change in a moment right. but um yeah we're all in process and so many things are happening so fast <laughs> that uh we gotta got to get our heads together. So I think that's where the collaboration part comes in because <laughs> there's no room for rock stars anymore. And you know, I'm just going to flat out say that. And I don't hope that doesn't offend. And if it does, well, so be it. But that time I think is sort of over in terms of comics and how we're, you know, it's cool when you get someone who's obviously very popular. That's great. But even people who work at the majors still have creator own projects. So it's like, okay, yes. there's still that room for it, you know? So this, yeah. there's this thing of, you know, and I, trying to sound very hippie about it like you know there, there's room for everybody but yet there's a reason why you know some of the top writers at let's say a marvel or dc or what have you are still doing kickstarters for their own personal books and yeah. whatnot because yeah. there's a time and a place for certain stories that may not necessarily work at this level and that's fine mm-hmm. so yeah i guess the, all the more reason that like why wouldn't people then realize that it's just more than what it is yeah yeah, there's so many advantages too as a creator, sort of going the creator-owned route. I think it's just the market is changing, and 
power is shifting to creators and I'm very, very encouraged by that. There are some ideas that are not going to make it through a committee. You just have to, to go for it and take the hit that comes with it. (laughs) Uh, And And there will be some hits. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, even speaking as a publisher, there are some ideas that are not going to serve a publisher's purpose. That doesn't mean that as a creator, you don't take that on yourself and on to yourself and then put the work out there. Right. So being strategic about how you do it is really important. I really love Tyler James over at Comics Tribe does a really great series of podcasts and blog posts and everything about, you know, marketing, getting the word out there. He's sort of focused on Kickstarter, but all of these marketing principles that are not necessarily second nature to an artist or a creator, uh, that's a discussion that's going on. And I've, I've benefited greatly from following that series. The business side of stuff, though, when you take an idea to a, another business, if, you're, if that project doesn't serve their purposes, or like you said, if the rock stars, you know, are working for a bigger company, they're serving that company's goals. They're serving that corporation or they're serving those, those masters. And so creator owned projects, when you, when you take the mantle of that on, you're taking it all on. Right. And hopefully you find partners that can further your reach and help you help you get out there. So it's an exciting thing, but it's all a challenge. And if it was easy, it wouldn't be worth doing, you know? Absolutely. And that's a great way to put it. Enrique, thank you so much. And oh boy, you know, I didn't realize, wow, time really flew. Yeah. No, thank you so much for having me. I love, love, love the show. And I'm so excited always to talk to you. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate you and your support and just being awesome. Cause you know, as we're seeing, not everybody necessarily is in the world. So when we see you in Chicago. We're going to be at C2E2 uh, coming up soon. We've got two books debuting there. Baroque pop, the Lana Del Rey anthology is going to be at that show. And then Ophelia's revenge, uh, our twist on Hamlet uh, is also going to be debuting at C2E2. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it out that quickly, but we will see. But um, before we go, though, I guess we'll throw out, because I know right now you're currently doing submissions or open call for submissions for new anthology, correct? We do. Well, we just closed the open call for... Uh, oh, you did close it. Okay. Closed it. Yeah, I closed on the 15th. Uh, but uh, we took a year off of doing uh, our Red Stylo Presents anthologies. After 27, just teaming up with... Uh, Action Lab and, and, and working with Danger Zone, uh, trying to promote, trying to, to get all that stuff. And it was a, a much larger scale. They brought us, you know, out to the world. And so that took a lot of time. So we took a break for the annual anthology last year. But James McGee, assistant editor, got promoted to editor. He really wanted to take on uh, the new book and get that out there. And, and because of the Harvey and because the anthologies were so important uh, to Red Stylo, uh, decided to do to jump back in and do another one. So uh, Strip, a Twisted Vegas anthology, uh, is going to awesome. be the theme this year. We closed open call, and then the uh, creators on that book are going to be announced on March 15th. Cannot wait. Thank you again so much for chatting with me. Hopefully we'll get to do this again soon. Thank you. And uh, like, hopefully we can um, have Mario back on the talk robot because I feel like I'm going to get schooled on Lana Del Rey and <laughs> spend the hour telling me how I was wrong about her. <laughs> so wrong! <laughs> and then he'll slam you and you guys can talk about wrestling too so. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. Again, thanks for sharing your insights about that. But before we go, as always, please let everybody know where they could find more about you and Red Stylo and anything else that you feel like plugging. Oh, great. Uh, yeah. Redstylo.com. S-T-Y-L-O.com. We are on Facebook. We're on Twitter. And then we have a Patreon page. So if you are interested in uh, getting comics delivered straight to you every two weeks from Red Stylo, it's uh, Patreon.com backslash Red Stylo. And, uh, yeah, you'll hear from us every two weeks there. I hope everybody didn't mind us uh, kind of <laughs> addressing the very orange elephant in the room. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I guess it's a, uh, I wouldn't say necessary evil, but you know what? Hopefully, in the face of all that, we get to keep doing what we do. You know what? I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. No, you know what? You're right. Damn it. I'm not sorry. <laughs> I'm not sorry. <laughs> Uh, oh boy but well with all that said (laughs) that'll do for this episode of adrian has issues and we will see you next issue Thank you for listening to Adrian Has Issues. Please be sure to visit adrianhasissues.com to stream or download our other great episodes. Like us on Facebook at Adrian Has Issues, on Instagram at Adrian Has Issues Pod, and follow us on Twitter at Adrian Has Issues. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the Satchel Podcast app, available on iOS and Android. Adrian Has Issues is a proud member of the Nerd Sloth Network, home to such great podcasts as Nerds on Tap, Cinefreak Critique, and Saturday Morning Cartoon Boom. Visit them at nerdsloth.com.